Hello and welcome to Peach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I am your host. And this is a bonus episode of the podcast that we are putting out alongside of our regular episode this week. You can also find our regular episode in your podcast feeds where we talked about Governor Kemp's order allowing businesses like nail salons and tattoo parlors and gyms, allowing all of those businesses to reopen amidst this coronavirus pandemic. On this episode, Meg talked with Representative Becky Evans about what she believes the state needs to be doing to reopen and about the kind of information that legislators are getting amidst this pandemic. They also talk about the impact of the legislature's suspension on the ability of sitting legislators to fundraise. The Georgia Ethics Commission upheld a rule that prohibited members of the legislature from fundraising during legislative session. Technically, the legislature is still in session. It is just suspended, and that means sitting legislators like Representative Evans, who have a primary challenger, cannot fundraise while their primary challengers can Um, So without further ado, I will turn it over to this conversation with Meg and Representative Evans. On the podcast today, we have Representative Becky Evans from Georgia House District 83. She'll be giving us a little bit of a scoop on what's going on with COVID-19 in the legislature, as well as what it's like to have a campaign in these very difficult times. So welcome to the show, Representative Evans. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much, Meg. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. Of course. So um, would you mind giving us a little bit of a rundown on yourself and your district? Absolutely. Yes, I'm a, I'm a very privileged and honored to represent uh, House District 83. It's an all-decab district uh, with unincorporated decab, parts of decab, I mean, parts of or unincorporated decab, parts of Decatur, parts of Atlanta. So it's 16 miles long and one mile wide. And for those of you that know DeKalb County, it includes portions of Emory and Decatur and Eastlake Golf Course and goes down to the Henry County border with the Seminole Landfills. So it's a wonderful district with lots of different unique and vibrant neighborhoods. For sure. And uh, I'm sure they would consider themselves lucky to have you as their representative. So let's get into some of the questions that we have. Um, As I kind of set up, it is a weird time to be a Georgian. It is a weird time to be alive. And so I just kind of want to get your take on the discussion around Georgia's reopening. Um, We've seen Kemp make a decision. We've seen Trump react to it. We've seen Kemp respond to it. We've seen a ton of people have opinions about it. What's yours? With this decision, the governor reinforced what he campaigned on and that business does take priority over public health. And, I, um, you know, he didn't include Mayor Bottoms ahead of time. And and they have had a respectful rate relationship during this COVID-19 crisis. And he did not include members of his coronavirus task team. And it's and I think it's because he didn't want to be persuaded to change his mind. And when he decided to announce it, he made sure to include um, Ralston and the lieutenant governor because... It was a so in my mind, it was a calculated decision um, by Republican leadership uh, to show, you know, that it was it was business first. And, you know, Kemp said politics be damned. But really, I do think he was looking at his base. And I will say we found out after the fact, uh, some of us and, you know, some of my colleagues is that there is a there was a there is a reopen Georgia group and it had twenty three thousand like Facebook members, and they were going, 
They were scheduled to have an Operation Gridlock rally at the Capitol this Friday. And I think he didn't want to have that happening. He was afraid of that. I think that was a part of his decision, you know. So, um, and apparently now they won't be meeting, I don't think. It'll be like a victory rally for them. So that's the, that's, you know, my the thing with camp. And, you know, my reaction is I want to make sure, you know, my and my goal is, is to prevent as many people in DeKalb from being infected as possible. The so- social isolation that we've been going through, it's protecting people that we will never meet. And in DeKalb, the virus has already taken up uh, 36 of our friends and neighbors, and we have over 1,600 confirmed cases. And we're now the county with the second most number of confirmed cases in the state of Georgia as of two days ago. And of course, as we all know, due to lack of testing uh, and the fact that People can be asymptomatic. Um, We really know that we have many, many more cases of that. So we're making these political decisions in absence of science data points. And the other big point is we haven't seen a 14 days decline in the cases as uh, was suggested by the White House. Um, So it's definitely too soon for this reopening. And um, as far as Trump's reaction, I feel like, you know, Trump is a narcissist. Trump saw that it would be that the criteria wasn't right, that, you know, it's likely that deaths could occur. And he, so, you know, he, he, he just said, you know, that he disagreed with it. He didn't say, you know, he didn't say he was going to override it, but he wanted to, so I feel like he left Kemp a little bit out in the lurch. You know, we were joking about Kemp's probably in his office turning over his desk and everything, but it is what it is. You know, Kemp saying, staying with the plan, um, releasing, you know, his plan and, uh, It will be up to individuals to decide what to do. So what I would really like to know is what criteria do you think should have been met in Georgia before uh, we could even consider reopening? You mentioned testing. Um, What what other than that? Well, we need testing. And one thing that is good, I did find out in a conference call this afternoon, is um, we have 50 test sites outside in, in the state of Georgia. So we need to increase the test sites and we need to have good contact tracing and uh, what I'm encouraged by is Dr. Toomey today, the director of public health. She did talk about that you know, that Massachusetts is the um, is a good model, and Massachusetts has hired a thousand people to be contact tracers. So, um, and what contact tracing is for those of us that are you know learning about all this? It's a long time public health tradition where basically you follow up individually with people that have the have, have had the infection, and you. You, you find out where they were, who they were with, and then you follow up with those people. And it needs to be two parts. We need to have people doing it. And then apparently they are um, working on developing an app and uh, Google's working on this app. And uh, let's see, I have some notes here about it. So, and it's where basically they're also going to be able to tell, like based on where you've, where you've been, like what, what social networks you've been in and, So, and the thing is, is that the scale of this disease is so much higher than any other public health problem. Like our our public health departments have been used to tracing tuberculosis and sexually transmitted diseases and, and, uh, but this is just on a whole nother scale. So they're really having to, to scale up. So we're not there yet. And so I feel like that, and I, one thing, another important thing that I learned, we have, you know, I live right by the CDC. So I have lots of friends that are infectious disease doctors. I mean, one of them, I had a chance to have a conversation with um, Dr. Mark Rosenberg, and he was saying, 
we need to not think of things as phases, but we need to think of things, think of opening back up in streams. And um, uh, so there are things that have to go on at the same time. You don't just have the end of one phase and the beginning of another. Uh, so that was helpful for me to think of it that way. You have the ongoing, you have the mitigation. That's where um, you try to address the people that have had the illness right now. You have it. Then you want to see if you can build up immunity. You have to work on recovery, um, saving lives and restoring jobs. Um, then you have to work on protecting people. And then we have to be prepared for the ne- next pandemic. So anyhow, it's helpful to think about all these things have to be going on. They, they, I mean, maybe not all of them, but they, you know, it's not just one thing. It's not just something's totally over. Like as we're taking care of the sick people, we absolutely have to uh, uh, be, re- you know, doing this contact tracing and searching for, for the, you know, other people that may, may be carriers. Uh, one thing I did find out today that I am encouraged by, you know, as we know that asymptomatic people can be carriers and um, there's been a problem in that asymptomatic people haven't been able to get tested. I mean, testing has been so limited, but now if you're asymptomatic, but you do work in a healthcare setting or in a, or in an elder care setting, you can get tested. So I'm very glad to know that. And that's something new. That's something new. So if we have anyone out there that works in those environments, you can get tested. And if you want to get tested, um, you know, you go to your county. Of course, you go to your own doctor if you're sick, if you have these symptoms. But um, if you don't have a doctor, many of us don't have primary care doctors, you can go to your public health department. And the other thing that's new is that um, Augusta University has a new app out and you can download it, and I download it on my phone today, um, and it's uh, AU Health Express Care. So if you aren't feeling well, you know, if you think you have some of these symptoms and you want to talk to someone, you can download that app, and you, you have to in, enter in your, some data, and then a care provider will come up, and you'll talk, you can select which one you want to talk to, and then talk to them, and they will send you to the nearest test site if you meet the criteria. And even if you are asymptomatic, but you work in a healthcare and elder care setting, you should be able to get tested. And once again, getting tested is just specimen collection. You know, that's what that's what this is, is they swab your nose and, and get sent off. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's all great information. And I found the streams uh, idea to be very interesting. So that's that's helpful. What do you think right now, just to kind of bring this back to the legislature a little bit, uh, your bread and butter, what do you think is most important for legislators to do right now? Well, it's really important we listen to the scientists and the doctors and the public health officials. And it's important that we uh, help our constituents when they ask for our help. Yeah, and it's important that we communicate um, what we're learning to our constituents, um, and uh, especially you know at the federal level as, as things come down. Um, I know the Georgia House Democratic Caucus today, we had a... Uh, press conference and we specifically address like for for employees and employers if you're thinking about you know if you're reopening for work um, what rights do employees have and what does you know so we were talking about the federal law protections in this coronavirus family act the ccrfa or whatever so we're just communicating what the points are what the protections you know employees have with that and we were talking about the other federal guidelines. We had a, you know, we were communicating um, that, you know, the House, the U.S. House is considering another bill 
phase two of the CARES Act to give more money out for to help in many ways. Like the first phase of the CARES Act was $350 billion, and the Paycheck Protection Program money ran out, as we've all heard about, which was a travesty that so much of the money, only 5% went to true small businesses. So um, in this phase two, uh, there'll be $484 billion, $310 billion for the Paycheck Protection Program where they applied to their lender. And then there also will be uh, $75 billion for hospitals, $25 billion for testing, and $50 billion in emergency disaster loans. So these are things where I'm getting ready to have a town hall tonight, and I'm going to be communicating you know, some of, some of these updates out. And then finally, the most important thing is the one responsibility state legislators have is to vote on a budget. And um, unfortunately, our you know revenue forecasts have been shattered by this uh, by this pandemic. And so, uh, when we go back, we'll have to. I actually don't know what we're going to do about the 2020 budget, which ends at the end of June. I don't know if we'll because we won't meet our budget, we won't meet our revenue goals. So I don't know if we'll borrow from reserves or what. And then we have to vote on a new budget for 2021, which is going to be so hard. But I mean, it's we're going to have to cut a lot. And I know people are working on that. But anyway, so that's some of the roles of the legislate, the state legislators. Gotcha. So you mentioned, um, so you mentioned already the budget, what other, or, or do you think there are any large scale policies in addition to what you already spoke about that need to change or need to be made in light of the novel coronavirus's impact on people's health and the economy, particularly in Georgia? Well, absolutely. I mean, we need to expand Medicaid. Georgia is still one of the few states that hasn't expanded Medicaid. We've left money on the table, billions of dollars on the table where we're paying these, you know, taxes and other states are getting this money. And um, if we had Medicaid expansion, we would have uh, more people would have health care. I mean, you know, it's been it's unresolved when people, you know, testing has, has been free. All the insurance policies have, you know, agreed to have testing be free for the coronavirus, but the care, if people are in the hospital, that there are so many people that are not covered that are getting sick. It's very serious for our hospitals and anyhow. So so expanding Medicaid would be the number one policy goal. And that's why, please, all of your listeners, you know, if we can help flip the house, we have to have regime change in order to expand Medicaid. Our Republican, you know, colleagues are just not going to do it. And We've got to have a majority so we can get that done. That's the, that's the number one issue that I can think of. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about campaigning, um, because I know you have a primary opponent. Um, so how has campaigning been impacted by the novel coronavirus? Oh, my goodness. What well, means that my my dining room home office, campaign office, I'm all alone. I don't get to have anyone come in the house and help me here. So around. <laughs> I miss I miss the human contact, but you know we're using Zoom for meetings. Uh, that's that's been helpful. You know we've had to up our technology game. Um, the big thing is I when I ran in 2018, I really loved canvassing and I loved meeting voters in the field. I mean, or you know at their homes, at their doorsteps, and I love that human connection. And so I don't have that this time, you know, and I miss that very very much. And I miss the in person talent town halls. As a legislator, you know, I love to hold town halls because, you know, I prepare what I'm going to say, but then I get to take questions from the audience and see what's going on with them. So, so basically the big change for my campaign this year in 2020 to 2018 with the pandemic is um, 
lack of, you know, one-on-one human contact, you know, voter contact. So, so we're trying to do more with phones. Um, that's been hard because a lot of people don't have, we don't have good phone numbers in Vote Builder. So, um, you're probably contacting one out of every five voters, but yeah, those are some of the big, big, big differences. Gotcha. I, I can, I understand what you mean about the social contact thing. Um, campaigning is one of the things that I like to do for fun too. And while I focus on tech, so I am more behind the scenes and have way less of the contact, I still at least usually have some. So I completely understand what you mean by that. So one of the things that we know is going on is that Georgia leadership has upheld the existing fundraising ban uh, because the legislative session has been suspended, but it has not officially ended. So how is that affecting your campaign? And is there anything you can do to mitigate those effects, especially considering you have a primary coming up? Well, thank you so much for asking that. I um, I, I um, knew I knew I, I knew I had a primary opponent last summer, so I feel kind of lucky about that. So I was able to fundraise this fall. And um, so I'm going to have to replenish my coffers, but I do feel fortunate that I have enough money to conduct a campaign this this spring and early summer. And some of my colleagues didn't know they had competition till later. So um, so I'm at peace with the decision. It was it, it was a state you know, Georgia Ethics and Transparency Board. And I, I do understand they really couldn't change the law. I mean, that is, it's just, they couldn't do it. So I'm, I'm not um, losing sleep over it. One, one thing that was good, the decision they did make is that people could loan themselves money and then they can, you know, fundraise for it. Well, we can go back, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And it makes me realize, you know, if you have friends that are elected officials and they ask for you for money, even when they don't have competition, it's like you need to have some money in the bank to be ready because you just don't know <laughs> what can happen. So, yeah. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, have you gotten to speak directly with other legislators who also have a primary and maybe didn't know that they yeah, have? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I have. And, um, they, I mean, they were, uh, yeah, they're upset about it, but, um, but I think, uh, yeah. And so I'm, uh, you know, Representative Henson, I know there's several people where they've been upset about it because, you know, my opponent could be out there fundraising. So, and I really have no idea how that's going. <laughs> I'm at, I am, so I am at risk. Well, no, one good thing about the election being pushed back, um, to June 9th is that our next disclosures are April 30th and I haven't been able to raise money and my opponent has and I'll be able to see what she has in the bank if I need to you know throw some of my money in there too you know so that'll be helpful exactly something that um, I know you and I kind of talked about off the air but I'm going to ask you about now um, so there have been some rumors about when the legislative session will resume um, do you have any idea, are any of the rumors credible to you? Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we suspended session in um, uh, March, I think March 9th, 8th or something. And it looks like I, I just read today in the Atlanta Journal <laughs> and a friend pointed it out to me that um, the speaker and lieutenant governor are looking at June 11th is return, returning to session. And um, I would be supportive of that. It would be after the election of June 9th. And 
still before uh, our new fiscal year begins uh, July 1st, and it should be enough time for for the legislators to be able to meet, you know, in person. We can take precautions, but um, hopefully we'll be, you know, we'll be able to be protected and get together and meet and, and vote on a budget for our the hardworking citizens of Georgia. Absolutely. So just to kind of close out the interview, uh, one of the things we like to do is we like to give the candidate a chance to talk about um, just anything else that um, you feel like you need to discuss at this time. Great. Well, I think my my main message is, is to um, please help elect other Democratic representatives and senators in the state of Georgia. Um, the Democratic Caucus has good leadership. Um, we are 180 seats in the House. And uh, in 2018, we uh, flipped 11 seats and we need to, we're at um, 90 is, you know, the constitutional majority or 91. So we need to flip like 16 seats in order to have a majority. So please uh, um, go to the Georgia Democratic Party to learn about what you can do to help us elect uh, more Democrats throughout the state of Georgia. And where can we find information about your campaign? Oh, thank you so much. Yes. So my campaign is BeckyEvans.com. I would love for you to come to my website and uh, uh, you can email me from there or you can email me. I can tell you Becky at BeckyEvans.com. Yes. And then you can follow me on Facebook at Becky Evans for Georgia House and on Instagram at Becky for Georgia, but Instagram and Twitter, Becky for Georgia. And I would love to uh, have you join me there. You can join me at my first town hall tonight. You can go to Facebook Live at 7.30, and I'll be broadcasting from my home to yours um, on, on, these, on these issues of the day. Yeah, and then I would just also say, everyone, please stay safe, stay healthy, take care of yourself, um, and uh, let your own um, representatives know if they can be and how they can be helpful to you during this time. Well, Representative Evans, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and I hope you stay stay safe and well. Thank you so much, Meg. I appreciate the opportunity. That's our show for today. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod. Thanks, as always, to our fantastic interns, Olivia Bauer, Peyton Childers, and Kelly Dobso for their help researching this episode. Until next time, take care, y'all.